movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I'm your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for another conversation about some of our favourite films. Please give us a follow on Twitter at Keynotomic, and if you want to drop uh, drop an email, uh, we, what's our email address, Nick? Uh, Keynotomic at gmail.com. That's the one. Thank you. So, what movie have you been watching this last couple of weeks? Well, I've been teasing it because it came out. Uh, it came out. It's been a week. It's it's as of recording. It's been a week. As of when you'll hear this, it would have been about two weeks. Um, but it came out, and we are still. Everyone is still alive. So, um, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Are you talking League. about Zack Snyder? Oh, of course. Um, four hours and a minute long. Just over four hours and a minute long. You um, watched it then. I, I did in one sitting. Um and the previous night I watched the theatrical cut the 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 theatrical version that was kind of reshot by Joss Whedon for for you know reasons um uh, Snyder had to kind of come away from the production due to a family tragedy um and then Joss Whedon came on board and kind of did a reshoots and it turned out that Warner Brothers wanted to kind of redo the film anyway so anyway I saw that version, um, that rewatched it, and it's it's not it's, it's a bad film, um, but it does it it does the simple A to B thing very well. It's two hours long and a dot, and it's just a bog standard superhero film starring Batman and Superman and and Wonder Woman and all that lot, and it's 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 not very good. Um, the Justice League Zack Snyder version, the Snyder cut. It's presented. I don't know if you knew this, but it's presented in four by three Academy ratio. Um, so it it shares it shares oh. its DNA with uh you know Andrew Arnold and Kelly Reichardt and um Paul Schrader's uh, First Reformed. Um, you can now add Zack Schneider's Justice League to that list. Um, despite because he wanted to, he wants it to show it on IMAX. Eventually, show it on IMAX. Despite the fact that he never actually shot it on IMAX cameras. Um, and it's just like, kind of, it encapsulates th- the stuff that I I think is kind of wrong with it. In that, it's all done because he thinks it's cool. Like he's very very good visually at presenting a visually impressive image. Um, you know, imagine like how James Cameron isn't he? <sighs> Cameron is is much better than Snyder as a filmmaker. Yeah, Much but he's, he's, he 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 went down that road for a while, didn't he? Where he was like, "Oh my god, let's just do all the technology that we can do with yeah, this but film." S- s- Cameron did it because he's James Cameron, and he he there is a purpose behind it. Like he was doing the Titanic thing because not just because you know it's fucking Titanic. It's like he wanted to do it in the most epic way possible. You know, he did it with you know in Terminator Two. You know, he pushed the 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 effects, the the pushed the 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 capabilities of CGI back then because yeah, that you know that's him. That's him as a filmmaker. Snyder isn't pushing any envelopes. It's, oh, he's, I thought he's, that I thought that's what you meant. No, no, what I mean is like the image is very cool to look at. As in, it's like. It's like something that's like drawn by an artist or you know something you can have on your wall that will look cool if you're a 15 year old teenage boy which you are which i i suppose i am but i do have taste um i think the four hour thing it's it's too long um there is a, a a sequence at the end that is one of the worst things i've ever seen um starring Jared Jared Lee. It's literally only there because uh he wanted Ben Affleck's Batman and Jared Lee as Joker to have a conversation on screen and it's fucking awful. Um there is there is like he doesn't do subtlety. Then he doesn't understand the character of Wonder Woman. He doesn't understand the character of, of 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 Superman. Um Batman is is not even doing 
what Batman is good at. Um, he kind of nails like Flash is pretty good in it. Cyborg is surprisingly the best part of the film. Um, I thought uh, Jason Momoa's Aquaman is is not the Jason Momoa Aquaman from from James Wan's film, which is much 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 better version. All in all, I was kind of just left with this sense of shrugging my shoulders. Oh God, okay, that's it. I'm done with that. You know, like I, there are people that I've spoken to that are outright love it. One of my be- one of my fr- one of my best friends has just messaged me saying it's one of the greatest things I've seen in a long time, and I'm like, really? I mean, it it I don't get it. I don't I don't get the I don't get it because it's so dark and gloomy. It's so depressing. Like Superman wears a fucking black suit, not for any reason that's given in the plot. It's because he's got a black suit, and it's 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 just I'm I'm fed up of seeing this version of of these DC characters. Like I understand that Batman's all meant to be dark and groomy and all this kind of stuff, but. Do something interesting with it. Do what Matt Reeves is clearly going to do with Robert Pattinson next year, which is something, you know, new with the character that we haven't seen before. Apparently, we're going to actually see Batman do some detective stuff, which we've not seen. <laughs> um, so, uh, just... Yeah, come on. What is Robert Pattinson doing? What is Robert Pattinson doing? Well, you, you is he the, in this new film? The, no, the, no, there's there's a Batman film coming out next year called The Batman Starring Robert Pattinson, directed by uh, Matt Reeves, um, and it's uh, the, I'll, I'll send you the trailer to look at. I, I, I'm, but, yeah, okay. Um, I'm I'm confused. Go on. Why why do we need another Batman? Because Warner Brothers doesn't know what they're doing. Um, okay. They. So to cut a long story short, Marvel released the avengers in 2012 but before they did they released iron man thor incredible hulk captain america they all got their individual films and they all did really really well in the box office justifying a release for the avengers dc and warner brothers were like we need to get in on that action and they didn't spend the time kind of releasing these films as a as a as a as a preparation for the universe you would have set out to. They did it with Man mm. of Steel, but the last like 30 minutes of Man of Steel is just it's just destruction porn and it's it's just shit. Um and then Batman v Superman is just is is just a gigantic slog and a bit of a downer of a film. And then Justice League does the same thing. The only t- the only time where, you know, actual kind of hope or or um, character comes into a film is when you've got someone like Patty Jenkins doing Wonder Woman or um, you've got the Shazam film done by David Goldberg or James Wan doing Aquaman you know they're, they're doing something different with the characters and it's, it's, it's a bit more it's a bit more what along the lines of what Marvel are doing but a bit more identity focused so because of myriad of reasons I honestly think that this Zack Snyder's Justice League is hopefully Hopefully, in my in my view, will stay an anomaly, in that it's just going to be this one thing done where Warner Brothers have given him, you know, sixty, I think it was sixty million dollars to pretty much, you know, release his this film that was already sat on a hard drive, um, to you know to finish off some visual effects and all this kind of stuff, and I'm I'm just I'm just kind of thankful that it's kind of over now because I no longer have to see this fucking hashtag on Twitter. Um, although it's now been taken over by hashtag Restore the Snyderverse because they want to see you know the sequels to the Justice League film, which well, I honestly don't think will happen. Um, yeah, I I'm just I'm just thankful it's it's kind of over. I'm. It was it was is a comparison to the other film, the just the Justice League film that came out. It's better in that it's a more coherent version. It's a more coherent vision. Sorry, um, it, a lot of the stuff makes sense. It doesn't seem like a mishmash of ideas. However, it's not. It's it's just it's just okay. Um, okay. And it's yeah, all 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 of it is just it's just kind of over. So there we go, listeners. I did warn you for previous weeks 
that I would have ended up yes, ranting a bit on on this. Um, um, I'm <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with that now. But I kind of want to. I don't want to say. It's only been ten minutes. That's. I, yeah. I don't want to say that. That's all I've been watching because I've I've also I also went through all of Sam Raimi's most of Sam Raimi's filmography that I hadn't seen. So I watched a Simple Plan, which is excellent. Um, Quick of the Dead, which is really good, and um. You know, I watched um, uh, For the Love of the Game, which is the Kevin Costner baseball movie, and watched Bill Durham, which is another Kevin Costner baseball movie, and Field of Dreams, and and I, you know, You've been it's, busy. yeah, I've I've watched some really good stuff. So it's kind of nice to kind of balance that out. Really, it's it's it's, it's some good stuff out there. I finally got around to watching uh, Tombstone as well. Um, I think I've seen bits of Tombstone. I've never seen it from start to finish. I've always been always catching it midway through. I reckon you'd love it. I've re- I was watching it. I think Daddy would like this. I lo- I love Kurt Russell um, and Val Kilmer Sam and whoever's Elliot. in it. Sam, oh Sam my god! <laughs> like, I love Sam. Sam in it. Like Bill Paxton's in it. Um, oh, like Powers, Elliot, man. Powers Booth plays the bad guy. Um and they've all got amazing mustaches. Yes, I know. They've got incredible, incredible mustaches. And the and the long length coats, like mm. pre pre matrix matrix kind of thing. And they look so good. They do. In that Western thing. It looks I honestly Tombstone, I I reckon you'd really love it. Um but yeah, uh, what what yeah, have you what have you been kind of watching? So I haven't been as busy as you are in terms of watching films because I've been kind of preparing my research on my final thesis for my master's degree. And I've re- I took a bit of time off for my birthday and I've watched I've rewatched one of my favorite Catherine Hepburn Cary Grant films called Holiday. Um that, and... wait wait Ro- Roman Holiday. No. Holiday, Holiday. nineteen thirty-eight. No, I've not seen that one. No, Roman Holiday is um, Audrey Hepburn's first film with Gregory Peck. Ah, uh, okay. Different, different, different thing. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Holiday is a film. I think it's based on a play, and it was made first in nineteen thirty with uh, a great, great character actress called Anne, Anne Harding playing the Catherine Hebben role um, and opposite her, I can't remember the name of the other actor in, in the original Holiday, um, the Cary Grant role, but um, in the original 1930 version, uh, Anne Harding plays sisters with um, Mary Astor, who you probably know from Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. When yep. Mary Astor was much, much younger, more nubile. And I've also gone back to Silent Era and I've watched a film, I think it was made in 1929, um, with uh, Greta Garbo and Louis Stone and Nils Astor, whom we discussed in our episode when we did um, The Bitter Tea of General Yin. Okay. Yeah, so that's kind okay. of what and I've I've caught up with I've caught up with second season of Staged over the weekend because I'm I'm a big fan of um Michael Sheen and David Tennant and it was brilliant. Okay. It's, what's what's it's that just on? Incredibly. You said was that wasn't that was on BBC you said, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's on BBC and they did a special for um Red Nose Day as well. Comic relief. It was incredible. It was really funny. Okay. They're they're brilliant. Yeah. And in the second season, they have many, 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 many guest stars. Many one. Many, many, many very famous names, including Kate Blanchett. <laughs> it was really good. So yeah, definitely recommend watching that. Staged. Okay, I'll write Staged. that down. It's it's there's two seasons so they've done the first season about I think sometime last year, and now they've done season two and they're it's just brilliant it's just and we're talking um, we're talking British yeah. British seasons where they're like six episodes long. 
Yeah, and I think there's six. No, these ones are eight episodes, but they're like twenty minutes long. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. No, that, that's that's yeah. Yeah, you that's... can just you, you can do you can do them in one sitting, more more or less. I mean, I'm, I'm I've been known to um, speaking of you know watching something very long in one sitting, like you did with Zack Snyder. Um, I think I've watched the whole fourth season of The Crown in one day which is wow. 10 episodes and each episode is one hour long so that's 10 hours so that's a day so that I basically when the film when the when the series were the f- um, fourth season was released on Netflix I did just take a day off and immerse myself in it because I was very very keen on on seeing it I think the most I've ever done was I watched I know I've definitely done four Mission Impossible films in one day. Um, yeah, but in lockdown, what else are you going to do? Especially no, no, when no, I was, this, it was, it was, like, it was back in the ago. day when I was... No, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. If I, if I had <laughs> places, if I had options, I would go and do other things um, as well as watching films. But I would, I mean, it was lockdown. It was like the height of lockdown in Paris back yeah. in November. When the fourth season got released, so there was nothing to do. So yeah, that's kind of it. Do we get started on our our main point of focus this evening? I think it I think it would be good. Yeah. Um. I don't know how this is going to go. What would you to say? It was yeah. So what would you say the theme of of today is? I mean, and like I said last week, um, that you know. The point of reference I was given was like contemplating life and all this kind of stuff. Having watched both films back to back, I I'm gonna go with um, existential crisis. Um, <laughs> it's basically basically okay. my mind at the moment is is oh dear lord oh god oh lord it's it's <laughs> this is life and death is on the horizon. So yeah, that's pretty much where I am at the moment. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Right. Shall we get started with the first film? So the first film of our discussion is 1957's Wild Strawberries. I have been trying to, I've been sort of practicing the name in in original language in Swedish and I can't say it, so you'll have to forgive me. It's written and directed by one of my favorite directors of all time, Ingmar Bergman. And I can't believe we've gone through a whole lengthy season of our podcast without a film by him. And my love of his films was one of the reasons I actually went to Sweden for a year to study film history. So, um, yeah, we finally got to the point where I've I've managed to sneak a film by him in the podcast. I'm not going to sneak. And you can't his... use sneak as a word. Like, I, I don't think sneak sounds like you sneaked it past me. I was... I was fully embracing having wild strawberries on the podcast. Fine, fine. <laughs> okay. So then, um, I'm just going to give a quick synopsis, and then I'm going to ask you what you thought of it. After living a life marked by coldness, an aging professor is forced to confront the emptiness of his existence. So now, what did you think of wild strawberries? Alright, so this is my second Ingmar Bergman film. Um, I watched Persona a couple of years ago. Um, I think that I saw The Seventh Seal when I was like 17. Um, probably do a rewatch doesn't, on that. It doesn't count. Yeah, I, yeah, it's been a long enough time now. I, I think I kind of need to rewatch it. Um, it's it's going to be really hard for me to review this. Um, uh, like... I'm just kind of overcome with like loads of different feelings of like the themes that are in this, um, you know, regret, guilt, forgiveness, death, love, um, the feel, you know, the idea that you know memory, um, like plays quite a big part in what ends up shaping us as a person. Um, it just that the film is. The film is very, very melancholic without being depressing. Um, the film has a very heartful and optimistic tone to it without being too saccharine. Um, 
I can't hope. I, I'm really sorry. I mean, I honestly don't really know where else to go without, you know, delving into how this film kind of makes me feel about my own kind of life. And, you know, like, which is kind of a sign of uh, something really powerful and really great. Did you enjoy it? In, uh, as much as you can enjoy a Bergman film, which is very much... You live a Bergman film more than enjoy it, really, isn't it? I think that's if I if I recall back from when I saw Persona, and you know, even more, and and then recalling back even further to Seventh Seal, I think you are right. Like you kind of just let it come to you and end up being in, in engrossed by it. Um, you can't really enjoy it. It's just something that you experience with all your being, yeah. more or less. Um. Like in this film, you know, regret and guilt are are these really powerful things and can lead to one being, you know, angry and bitter and kind of dark and empty on the inside, kind of just ends up overcome with sadness and loss. But yeah. what, what Wild Strawberries has is a very compassionate view on us as people um i'm glad you picked up on that you know like our lives are ripe for redemption and hope um you know like we we, we just kind of have to open up open up ourselves to 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 its to these possibilities you know only then really are we kind of ready to kind of be the ones we were when we were young or the ones we wanted to be. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I don't know. I'm sorry for the, these kind of scattershot thoughts. I mean, I. That's I'm, all right. I don't really know where else to go. I mean, I'm sure, like when you, when you, when you're talking about your thing in a minute, like I'm going to end up coming up with stuff. But as a whole, like this is a great piece of of cinema. Um, That's we've what had, I was we've waiting had, for you to say. <laughs> we've had we've had many films on this podcast. I think I think I worked out we've done nearly ninety odd or so films, um, and very few of them I would define as great. I've we've watched some that are really fucking good, but we we have. I think this is. I don't want to say the first time because I'm sure I'm missing out on some that I can't think of, but. This is one of the times where I'm thinking this is a great piece of art, something that's important for cinema as a medium. Um, and I do, I do eventually want to go and kind of delve more into Bergman's work. But you know, as we were talking a minute ago about you know watching all these films and in one day or in, you know in one go kind of thing, and like you know over a series of days. I honestly don't know how I could how one could do that. So maybe if I was to do it, I might have to kind of stretch out over yeah. course a month or a couple of months, kind of thing. Yeah, don't. I mean, yeah, don't don't do more than one Bergman film a day because yeah. you will lose your mind. I mean, I've I've <laughs> I've, I've done I've, you know I've done four Transformers films in a day, um, and no, I lost but this and I lost my different. mind. But this is. Yeah, no, this 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 is different. Like you can't compare Michael Bay winning my Bergman, please. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. Basically, what I'm basically saying is that when I did that with when I did that with the Transformers films, there was you know there was a there was a purpose behind it. It was you know I was doing for dissertation, but it just kind of I was just kind of just washed letting it wash over me and just kind of ended up just kind of looking past the surface of it all and there's obviously not much there underneath but with Bergman there is so much there is there is there is more in this 90 minute film than there is in the 26 hours of Transformers films that there have been released in five movies um (laughs) it it hasn't been 26 hours but it obviously feels like it but there is more in this 90 minute film than there is in most two hour fucking movies there's I could, you could watch this film twice and still have time to run to the sh- the corner shop around the corner and grab and grab a snack to get some fresh air 
come back, watch the film a second time, and still be done before you watch one viewing of Zack Snyder's Justice League. And you would get more out of it. You you would get a lot more um, meaningful insight into what it means to be human, into what it means to to live a life, for what a story yeah. is, for what um, characters do. You know, there, there's so much here. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> again, I, I apologise for these kind of scattershot thoughts. But yeah, cool. carry on. So yeah, I mean, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, in as much as you can enjoy, a, a, like I said, a Bergman film, it's just something that you experience. It's it's like a religious epiphany, um, more or less. And for me, Wild Strawberries is up there. I think we've discussed with with François Truffaut's um, Les Quatre Cinq Coups one of my all-time favorite films and one which I studied very early in my in my film degree and it solidified my love for, for cinema. The the combination of melancholy and humor even um, and romance and darkness, so much darkness um, that Bergman's even like body of work has, but this film particularly is just astonishing. And you're right, you have to rewatch it and, and rewatch it and I've th- I think I've seen it about five times now and every time I watch it I discover something new about it and I've rewatched it today uh, to to prepare for this recording and I was noticing things that I had not picked up on before and it just blew my mind. And yeah, it's just it's just such a beautiful, beautiful piece of cinema. And when I first saw this film, it was my first module of film. Was it a film autoris, um, like um, author authorship, like. And it just, again, I fell in love with, with Bergman and the way he portrays. Death and decay, and the idea of of mortality and how people are afraid of it and how in the end you just have to just embrace it and just live life to the fullest really um but the the darkness of it and and also the humor just made me fall in love with it and when i first saw it i had no idea who this the main actor playing the character of isaac borg was I will try to pronounce his name in the real form and I'm going to say it just once and then I'm just going to revert to the English version of the name. So his name is Victor Hustrom, I think. So I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. I had no idea who he was. Um, he was very successful in Hollywood um, and he re... Well, because... People of like European American and English people were very found it probably difficult to pronounce it, his name because it's very difficult to pronounce, and they renamed him Seastrom. So I will just continue from now on to name him Seastrom. Um, so I, I found out he was one of the greatest directors of early Swedish cinema alongside Moritz Stiller, but unlike Stiller, he was quite successful in Hollywood to the point that they, like I said. They changed his name to Victor Seastrom. He directed the likes of Lon Chaney, Norma Shearer, Lillian Gish, John Gilbert, and uh, Greta Garbo as well. And I think the film that he directed Greta Garbo in is kind is Lost. I think it's like The Divine Woman or something like that. And there's only like seven minutes remaining of that film, sadly. Um, there is a brilliant, brilliant film um, that I would definitely recommend directed and starring him um, in from 1921 called The Phantom Carriage and I f- that was the film I, I kind of was recommended by my teachers and I went to see right after seeing um, Walt Strawberries and it just blew my mind it really is a testament and how much of a visionary he was the film is not from 1921 and you would watch it and you would not understand you couldn't it would be like Everything you knew about silent cinema is just out the window because this is a brilliant, like, groundbreaking film and you would not believe it was made in 1921. 
I have I have heard of it. It's it's been on my it's been on my watch list for a while. Yeah, so um, he directed it and he starred in it, um, Victor Seastrom. Um, so yeah, and the, the Wild Strawberries was the last ever film he made, and it took a while to convince him to make it. I'll get into into more in, uh, of that later, but yeah, there's um, so Ingmar Bergman considered him to be his idol. Um, I think he grew up with his films, and he grew up because he loved Bergman loved theater and loved cinema as well, and he he was always quite creative in that way. And he wanted he I think he grew up knowing the name of of Victor Seastrom, and he sort of idolized him and basically wrote the the, the idea of, of Wild Strawberries with with him in mind. And if it hadn't been if he hadn't accepted the role, he wouldn't have made it, so that the film wouldn't have been made. Um, there is a very funny clip, which I will link to in the show notes, in which Bergman talks about the shoot and how he managed to upset him, um, Seastrom, by breaking one of the promises he made to to the aging director, actor. Um, and it's it's, based, it's it's an interview with uh, Dick Cavett, and I was told that Dick Cavett actually flew to Stockholm to interview Bergman, and I think it was mid mid-70s. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful interview. Um, so yeah, the, uh, I was, I was rewatching it this afternoon and it just made me think that the, compared to other films that he, that Bergman made, the issue of religion is perhaps not as emphasized here as much as in like Seventh Seal or, um, Silence or something, um, I don't know, Shame or other films that he made. And I feel like he, like you said, it has to do with humanity and mortality. And strangely enough, I found this to be maybe maybe it's because I've watched it so many times. I found it now to be more accessible and endearing films of Bergman. I mean, if you watch the beginning, where I mean, even after the like the really really gloomy dream sequence, which is again marked, it I I found it like you know embellished. In my mind, whenever I saw it, um, after that you have the very lightweight sequence where he bickers with his housekeeper, and I thought that was quite endearing, and that's what I think is just quite endearing to to watch that. And there's a lot of other sequences in the film where you know you have the two boys and the young Sarah. Um, played brilliantly by Bibi Anderson, and they bicker her again, and they just there's there's a lot of fun and a lot of life and um, enthusiasm in in that sort of dynamic. And I he I think he he mentions it in the interview um, that he with the idea he had of of a man going back to like communion man's communion with nature and how we are all part of nature and i think that's what made um the character isaac borg go and and sort of like try to drive instead of fly to to lund um so i think it's it's probably if you watch it again you'll find there's more light-hearted jokes in in this than most of his other serious films uh famously bergman only did one comedy in his whole film career, I'm not sure about theatre because it's hard to to know uh, what theatre productions he made. But with his film career, he did *Smiles of a Summer Night*, and that was the only proper comedy that he did. Um, but you can see a lot of um, of, of a sense of humour in this, a lot of quite tongue-in-cheek and misogynistic jokes as well. don't know if you picked up on those, but they're there, and it's quite funny. Um, I found that the the journey that Isaac Rourke embarks on is just not, not just of self-discovery and maybe, you know, picking up, picking up scabs and picking up old wounds, but also maybe of seeking the reassurance that life lived has not been in vain and that you can change even late in life and you can learn from past mistakes um, and Bergman described in an interview how he came up with the idea and 
he was driving apparently from Stockholm to to um, to a different country, a different town in in Sweden, and he stopped in Uppsala where he lived, where he'd been born and raised, and he'd been driving outside his grandmother's old house when he began to think about how it would be if he just opened the door and inside it would be just as it had been during the childhood. And that's kind of what the idea behind Wall Strawberries came to, to came to him. And then I think that because he wanted to have Victor Seastrom in it, he just kind of developed it from there. Um, yeah, and funnily enough, this is one of the few films that um, cinematographer Sven Nifs Nick 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 didn't um, photograph. Um, this film was um, photographed by Gunnar Fischer, and apparently, according to him, several scenes had to be shot indoors because of Victor Seastrom's poor health. He was quite ill, and he died three years after the film. And there were some back projections um, during the car sequences because, um, yeah, he was one of the rules um, that he made when when he was approached and when he was convinced to, to be in the film was that he would have to be at home by 5 p.m. and have his whiskey every day. Mm. <laughs> and something happened and then one day he wasn't allowed to have his whiskey so he got really upset. Anyway, um, I'm going to end up with a happy note and I've watched this, um, I think I've watched it about last year, I think I've watched it like almost every every year. Uh, I felt a bit funny to see the film again today now that I've actually been to to, to the place where where the ending um, ceremony takes place. Um, Lund is a beautiful place and the cathedral is absolutely gorgeous. So I definitely recommend going there if you can, if you've got um, the chance. Okay. So yeah, um, it's one of my favourite films. So I'm, I'm really happy that you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting for you to say that you've seen this about five, you say five times? I think, I think I've think i seen it about five times. Yeah. yeah. It, turn, it turns out that the next film that we're talking about, I've seen about four or five times as well. How in the God's name you could... Never mind. Um, <laughs> do you want to get into it? Because um, I, I think... I think it'd be interesting to talk Do about this next film. Do you want to give us a synopsis? Because I don't know what it's about. I really don't know what. what yeah, no, no, about. I could do. I could do that. No, I was going to say, like, I think it'd be interesting to talk about this film, and then maybe we can have a go at talking about both films together. Because I think they yeah. work well. I think there is. I definite... think they do in in this very strange, awkward, um, gloomy, slit your wrists kind of way. Okay, um, so the second <laughs> film is uh, It's Such a Beautiful Day from 2012 by animator Don Hertzfeldt. Um, he's, one of my, he's, he's one of my favourite filmmakers uh, working today. Um, this is a feature-length film version of three shorts put together. Um, one being called Everything Will Be Okay from 2006. The second being I'm So Proud of You from 2008. And the third being It's Such a Beautiful Day from 2012. Um, so I think the synopsis I've got is literally just one sentence. Bill struggled to, Bill struggles to put together his shattered psyche. I think that kind of hmm. is pretty yeah. succinct. Um, pretty succinct, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Danny, <laughs> what did you think of It's Such a Beautiful Day? So, I was listening to you talk about uh, what strawberries, and you said that it was it was not optimistic. It, it was a bit optimistic at the end, and it was not too depressing, and you enjoyed it, you, you loved it, and how it, it kind of compassionate way of, of looking at things. And... I felt quite the exact opposite about this film. I did. I felt it so. It it was so depressing and so pessimistic and just quite a downer for me. 
Um, the film is only an hour long, and it just felt like three hours, to be fair. Because it just, it, it was, it felt, to me, it felt like everything was going on a loop. So he gets better, and then he gets sick, and he gets better, and then he gets sick again, and then he gets better, and then he gets sick. And then it's kind of like downward spiral of, of human decay and, and psychological dis- destruction where the character of Bill yeah. doesn't remember anything anymore. And wow, it's such a downer. I, I, this isn't to say it was a bad film. I really appreciated what he did with it. And I can see how you like this director. I appreciate the artistry, the juxtaposition of, of you know, colour and, and, and grey and real people and, and cartoons. It was very, like, drawing was very, very well done. Um, I think my first issue was with the voice of the narrator. It just, it just felt a bit quite jarring. I mean, I know it's rich coming from me with my horrible squeaky voice, but someone to narrate <laughs> such a film, the voice was just a bit too annoying, too pedestrian. It just, it didn't feel like it would fit with the rest of the film. Um, so yeah, it just felt like too monotone. Um. At times, it just felt like, like I said, it was just kind of going and running in circles with the same idea. And then it was trying to force some humor out of certain situations, but it just came across as creepy and slightly absurd. I mean, what was the deal with the grandma and the hats and the and the heads of kitchens? I just didn't understand that, and it just creeped me out. Um, I, f- I felt they had some humor to it, and I think I chuckled once or twice. Um, particularly with the, all the relatives that were getting run, run over by trains. What's the <laughs> deal with that? <laughs> and the guy who gets like ingrown hairs out of his face and it just looks like, a, I don't know, onion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but overall, I found it quite depressing. I don't know. I just, maybe I didn't understand. And the ending just felt a bit out of place. Maybe I didn't understand it. I mean, I have to say, I've only seen it once, and I felt once was enough for me. Um, And I don't know if I understood the ending, to be fair. Maybe it's too clever for my poor mind. Um, But it it just didn't feel like it belonged with the rest of the story. And here's a spoiler alert here. I think it might have been because everyone, including myself, was expecting Bill to die, and he just never dies. I mean, every scene in the film could be the last scene of the film. And then he keeps going on and then on and then on. And he doesn't die. And I'm going to leave you with this because this, this is all I've got. Um, the question of, uh, I think this is the question. Once all that you love and all the memory of, of all you've loved and all your lo- you've lived has been lost to you, i.e. dementia, because I thought that's what Bill has in the end. When you just can't remember the people important in your life, what's there to li- what's left to live for? Uh, I don't okay. know. So I would have died if I had been Bill. I would have just shoot me. Sorry, but that's just what I had. So for maybe me, I miss. I mean, maybe I misread the whole thing. I don't know. No, I no, might it's, have. it's fine. Um. Okay, so I'm trying Take to think about the best place to start. Um, so Don Don Hertzfeld, I've been a fan fan of his for for before this film came out. Um, there was a short he did called um, Genre, um, which is like a one of his student short films he did back in like the late nineties, um, and it it kind of did the rounds um, when I was at college, and then there was another one that I saw of his called. Um, L'Amour, which I remember having uh, on my phone, um, my Motorola thing, because it was a very short video, um, very funny little short. And then, um, and then he did a, a short called um, Rejected, which I think was 2008, which I saw at the time when it came out um, on the internet, which I'll send you a link for. And the kind of 
the unifying thing with all these kind of shorts that he did that I saw was this kind of like absurdist sense of humor um, that, you know, it, there is a kind of, uh, a, an almost not to say glibness to his sense of humor, but there is, you know, like, like the people getting hit by trains. Um, <laughs> there is another the, the line in, in this film is when he's talking about um, the, the little boy with the hook hands and he runs into the sea and then, you know, and then it's not to be seen again. And then he says, oh, the other kids just looked and were surprised he could run that fast. Um, and it's like, that line always makes me laugh because it's undercutting a really tragic moment, which you later find out yeah. whether it's actually true or not. But it, it's like, it's like there's a silliness to it. And I think when you see, when I, when, when you end up watching Rejected, you'll end up, Kind of maybe seeing a bit more Python-esque humour. Um, you know, he has said in multiple interviews that he's a big fan of Python. Um, and I, obviously that's not going to show in this film. What I think It's Such a Beautiful Day does for me is that I think the film is one of the best representations of mental illness and depression I've ever seen. Um, I've made no... It is good. It, it does that. It's, yeah. it, is, it does it very well. Yeah. To the point that you're just there and just want to cry yourself to sleep yeah um you know that there's multiple times in this where it really hits me how hard it is that you know you you when you look back and you see this happy person that you were and then you look at the person you are and then it's you're, you're kind of trapped in this endless loop of of you know in this loop and you're you're a being that is kind of falling apart and you're struggling to stop it and and then yeah you know that that's a feeling that I felt in the past, and you know because of current circumstances, it's kind of been rearising again. But you know, um, yeah. No, just to listeners, think... don't watch it during lockdown. Watch it when you can actually go and hug your beloved family. Um, well, because I, it's just I watched, one of those things. I literally, I watched the last time I watched this film before today was in the first week of lockdown back last year in March, and it really the the ending. The ending gives me such a lift. Um, the the moment where you know he's lying on the ground and you know he says everything everything is going to be okay. It's such a beautiful day, and you know he's looking around and he's seeing these little pieces of beauty he'd never noticed before. You know the grass, the the grass on the sidewalk, and you know the brickwork and. You know, it's like noticing all these like little pieces of beauty that you 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 walk past every day of your life. But if you stop to take a moment and take it in, you realize that we are living in a an amazing world. And I think that's what the ending is doing: is that the narrator is is in denial. He's like, no, Bill can't die because he's finally experiencing the world as it is it should be seen and he is experiencing these feelings of wandering through of all eternity experiencing everything that's out there because it is there to be seen and there to be taken in and there to be um feeling this amazing ama feeling of amazement and wonder and that's how i feel at the end of this movie and i it honestly, it was like it was exactly what I needed at that point. And watching it today, I was it, it just kind of hit me hard again because it was like it is such a beautiful day because of of everything that's out there. And you, I, I, it's really weird for me to be saying this because I'm really a cynical person. Um, I you know I've been turned into a cynical person, but. And I have a very, very negative outlook on our on our current situation. But it, this film gives me a, a, such a lift. Okay. Um, yeah. I had I, the opposite. It, it had the opposite effect on me. Yeah. I, 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 I do understand where you're coming from. I really do. It just... It just made me feel super depressed, and it just... And it, 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 it might be because I'm not too sure that the message is like oh we everything is there to be to be 
taken in and to be admired and to be you know looked at that that's only um, that's my interpretation i wouldn't say yeah, that's the interpretation i don't know because for me it was just like yeah humans are the best and we are always going to rule the earth and i do not agree with that statement it's just like yeah bill's the only one left on the earth and he will do, always be the only one surviving because he's the he's the best and i just and you know uh, and it doesn't actually reflect the reality where we all destroy the planet every day. Sorry, I'm just going to go on the tangent. But it just feels like, you know, the, the message is lost because we don't do that. We don't appreciate the day with the world. No, we don't. But I think that some, I think that somebody like Bill, Bill, this cat, this character, Bill, who, who has, like you said, gone through so much, you know, like he, the fact that his mother has a doctor's note that says, you know, strongly advise having against, against having children, you know, like the fact that the yeah. history of mental illness in his family, you know, like the, the cruel twists of fate and like all these things just keep happening to him. But he, he finally, it finally kind of hits at the end or towards the end of it. You know, when you're when you're facing, I think that's where this film and and Wild Strawberries kind of connect for me is that the character of uh, Victor, uh, Victor, his name. No, Victor is the name of the person. Uh, Isaac, the sorry, Isaac. Is Isaac Borg. So Isaac. Isaac. Isaac, where like he at the end and he's smiling and he's you know like he's finally there's finally hope Accepting. and redemption and acceptance in his life and I think Bill, there's this finally this sense of okay like all the monotony that he's lived through he's finally been broken apart where he's seeing what's around him for the first time um or, yeah. you know I, I i yeah i mean that's i mean i did not i did not read it as that but it just it, it just put a better spin on things i suppose yeah, I mean there there are many moments in this in this thing that, that that hit me hard that hit hard with me. I think one of the ones that does the most is when um you know he he he's a you know flashback to when he was a little boy and you know he's got the packed lunch and his mum writes him a note saying I'm so proud of you. And then later on we see him go through the books of mem box of memories and there is a a notebook and it's her practicing saying that yeah. so she can send him off with the most perfect version of her saying I'm so proud of you. And it that really hits hard in terms of like my own relationship with my own mum. Um mm. and I'm not saying like my mum has, you know, mental illness, she doesn't, you know, do crazy shit like this mother does. But like, you know, it just relates in terms of how connected we are as a family kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Um that there's a there's a line at some point where his neighbor I think his neighbour says no, his, his workmate talks about um, these two twins that are separated at birth, but they yes, both grow up yes. to be serial killers. And he says that genetics... And there's something about genetics. Yeah. You know, genetics is, yeah. is a cruel thing or something like that. And, you know, we can't help where we've come from, but we can kind of help what we're going to end up becoming, I think. Yeah. I, I think I, I think I think we can only do that if we are aware of the baggage we carry with us. And I think Bill is. I think if we're looking at Bill, the character in this, I think Bill is becomes aware of that. You know, he he ends up understanding that these memories that he he thinks he has may not be actually real, mm. but it doesn't necessarily ignore the fact that they're they're true. You know, like I don't know. I, I yeah. Anyway, I <laughs> interesting. I this is what I thought was quite interesting. I, I I do I do love this film quite a lot. Um, it is when you're talking about in terms of Hertzfeld work. I think this is his. I don't want to say his best. It's not his best work because he's done three films called The World of Tomorrow, Episode One, Two, and Episode Two and Episode Three, um, which I will try and get onto the podcast as like a trilogy they're they're really short Yay. they're only like 15 minutes each um but they're a lot more kind of hopeful um um yeah and they have a lot more of his kind of absurd and wicked sense of humor 
Um, yeah, so anyway, I tried finding... It's really hard finding behind-the-scenes stuff on this. Um, he, I read an interview where he literally said, yeah, all the behind-the-scenes stuff is on a DVD somewhere. Uh, I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, right, I can't mm -hmm. find that. Um, but he... I found something where he said that... Um, you know, all the effects that he has are kind of analog um, to digital back out to analog. Um, he says, there are so many airs I can add to that, things that I can marry in the computer and then print it out when I shoot under a camera. I'd say a bulk of the movie is shot under cheap magnifying glasses. There are some scenes shot through broken glass, layers of plastic, weird diffusion tricks, different ways to get the light to change. Um, this is his last i think his last analog movie um because the world of tomorrow trilogy has been digital so this is right. the last one he's done where it's hand-drawn animation mm. um yeah i mean i'm gonna link to a couple of arc um couple of interviews uh one from indie wire which is where that quote's from and then there's like a q a that letterbox did which i'm gonna link to um then there's a bfi one which is really interesting. Um, kind of that one kind of encapsulates more of his work in general. Um, no, he's a very interesting filmmaker, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I, I said I, I will send you. I will send you the short rejected because it is on YouTube, um, and and you can let me know what you think of that. I'll also post the link of that in the show notes if the listeners want to take a watch. Um, it's only ten minutes long. Um, and it did get nominated for an Oscar for short film, if I remember rightly. Um, his uh, Twitter bio is actually two-time Oscar loser because <laughs> he's been nominated but never won. Um, this film, uh, so the first installment, Everything Will Be Okay, was released in 2006, and it won the 2007 Sundance Film Festival Grand Prize for short film. Um... And it's you know got very it's got a hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes, which you know take what that what you will, but it's got to say that it's very highly regarded, at least the people that've seen it. Um, the BBC three three critics polled by the BBC named it such a beautiful day as one of the greatest films made since two thousand. Um, in two thousand fourteen, Time Out ranked the film number sixteen on their list of a hundred best animated movies ever made. Um, the Rap in 2019 named It's Such a Beautiful Day number one and best animated feature film of the 2010s. And the Vulture Film Critics also ranked it number 12 on their overall list of best movies of the decade. Um, I have a, I have got a quote, uh, well, the actual um, kind of insert that, that came from that Vulture uh, article from uh, Bill uh, Ibiri. Um, I'm trying to think about what the best thing to quote from. So, running just over an hour and consisting primarily of animated featureless black and white stick figures, Don Hertzfeld's look at depression, dementia, death and transcendence builds an insanely beautiful cinematic cathedral out of the simplest ideas. The title is both ironic and sincere. This is a story of an ordinary man dying of a brain disease but somehow it's also life-affirming reaffirmation of the awe-inspiring wonder of existence. To that end, the film includes mundane interactions that sometimes slip into surrealism and wild experimental passages. An unimportant exchange suddenly reveals deeper realities. Odd throwaway images come back as soul-crushing memories. The utter meaninglessness and forgettable humiliation of an ordinary life is reimagined as a heartbreaking tribute to our common humanity. How can something so small, created by one guy slaving away with a pen and paper for years, be so complex, so indescribably transcendent? You have never, ever, ever seen anything like it. Um, I think that that kind of sums up my view on it as well. I, I really do think it's a very, very life-affirming film. And I'm, I'm clearly not the only one. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I. Would you want to watch other, other work of his? If I say it's not as dark and depressing as this, because it's not. Okay. Yeah. 
like I said, I did. I I really appreciated the the. the originality and the artistry of it it just felt very depressing to me um yeah um but i would definitely give it another try well no I'll, i think i think i'll probably like i would want i think maybe next season i'm i'm, I'm gonna get the world of tomorrow trilogy on um sounds good because there's a very very interesting behind the scenes thing with that um to do with his uh, be a challenge for me to find a nice to trilogy do, of films too. Yeah, to it's got, so, yeah, to do with his four-year-old niece uh, voices one of the main characters. Um. Anyway, uh, we're changing up next cool. week, aren't we? What have we got on for next week then? Um. So we're doing the Lady Eve from 1941, directed by Preston Sturgis, starring Henry Fonda and Barbara Stanwyck. Oh my god! I, you know what I was doing today? Yeah. I on my lunch break. I I actually, I don't know how or why I started watching some some clips of Henry Fonda accepting awards. <laughs> and he's just so adorable. And I was like, I wonder what I was just thinking like because I knew we had we had the Lady Eve on on the podcast scheduled. I was like, I wonder how 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 long do we do that? Have we got another film with Henry Fonda later on? Uh, I don't think so. I think this is the Are only you one. Sure? Because we were, I know our re- initially, initially our initial plans, I know were to do like a Henry Fonda tribute, wasn't it, for his birthday? Yes. Um, but that didn't end up coming do, to light. Because do we of not schedule? Are we not doing Grapes of Wrath anytime soon? No, we're not. We took oh, that off. Okay. Okay. That's fine. We'll put it in for season three. We'll put it. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to put it in for season. Don't watch it until then. Okay. <laughs> but Lady Eve is a great film. Yeah, so we're watching The Lady Eve. Um, and we're watching that How with... familiar are you with Barbara Stanwyck? Let's have a look, shall we? Hang on. I have seen... <coughs> How many films? Sorry, I'm just waiting for this to load. I have seen two films. Double Indemnity and Better Tea of General Yen. I may have to go back and wow. listen to that episode we did on that because I'm pretty sure you talked about Barbara Steinwig at length. Um, uh, I think I, I think I could still talk about her at length because since then I've what I've read a huge biography by uh, I think Victoria Wilson, Feel True, um, and yeah I've learned more about her career and life since then, so I can I can bore you to, to tears with it. No, you won't pull uh, it. But yes. Yeah. Um, um, what are we pairing it with? So you 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 described Lady Eve to me as uh, a film with about you know con man and con artist, yeah. 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 So we're doing that with uh, the Brothers Bloom uh, from two thousand eight, directed by Ryan Johnson. Um, our second Ryan Johnson film on the podcast. For those who remember, we did Brick back in season one. Oh yeah. So the Brothers Bloom is his follow up feature. Um, it's also his underseen. It's the one that I would consider his underseen one. Um, it stars Rachel Vice, Adrian Brody, Mark Ruffalo, and Rinko Kikuchi. Um, I love Rachel Vice and I love Mark Ruffalo. Oh, you're gonna! I think you're gonna love it. I really do. Um, so that's next week. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, in the meantime, um, Danny, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at KinoJoan and my website is KinoJoan.co.uk And you can find me on Twitter at Nicholas Chandler and my website is SuperAtomoVision.com Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at KinoTomic um, where we post and retweet some stuff that, you know, Danny's mainly in charge of that so it'll be whatever <laughs> she sees fit. So if there's been a radio silence it's my fault. <laughs> so sorry about that. Um, and yeah, you'll probably find me just kind of on Twitter, just commenting about the state of Bollywood at the moment and how Which I really is... want to go to the cinema and watch Godzilla yeah. v Kong instead of sat three inches from my television oh next week, which is what's going to happen. Poor <sighs> Nick. Anyway. Send us an email in, 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 in solidarity with poor Nicholas. <laughs> Yeah, let, let me let me know how you're gonna watch a gigantic lizard fight a gigantic ape. How, let me know how you're gonna watch it because it's there's only one way to watch it and that's on the biggest screen possible. 
I have a projector. <laughs> I really wish I had room for a projector in my flat. Anyway, with all that in mind, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. And a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. Bye.